Well, welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining our webcast today. As you know, the Association of Value-Based Cancer Care is responsible for information and dialogue in our ecosystem across all stakeholder groups. This ensures that patients will win on access and quality. We need to constantly improve and change our tactics and our deliverables in cancer care. This is why we hold these webcasts. This is why you're dialing in. We have key opinion leaders, the influencers, the important decision makers who are driving change in our ecosystem. Please join us, participate, ask questions, and offer your voice too. It's hugely important. So thank you for joining. We look forward to participating with you more. Stay safe. Thank you. So here we are post our webcast today with Rick Lee who was our moderator. And obviously, Rick, you know, you're one of the big key influencers in cancer care. You have been for, I was going to say 20 years, but I'm sure it's even longer than that. And with the pandemic, we've seen there's a love fest with telehealth. And of course, the panel you ran this morning was really focused on what's going on in telehealth. But we're here this morning as a follow-up to kind of share some of the deeper thoughts that you might have on the opportunities ahead. There could be headwinds and tailwinds on this telehealth area. So um, why don't you give me your thoughts on how you think it went this morning and what really concerns you with telehealth, especially with the focus on cancer care? Thanks for the time, Bert, and the opportunity to express my opinions, which there is never a shortage of. I really think that the crisis that COVID has unmasked is the crisis in mental health. And mental health affects everybody. There is no health without mental health, as our Surgeon General once said back in the Obama era. And it's so true that we have tremendous anxiety and PTSD. All these nurses and doctors who are on the front lines and they're critical to keeping us all alive and prospering. And they're suffering tremendous post-traumatic stress with being the last ones that spend time with a dying patient and having to communicate what the dying patient did or didn't do back to the family who weren't able to be there in the hospital and touch their loved one. And so that has an impact on the provider, on the family, and obviously on the deceased. So it's really a crisis in mental health and mental illness that is touching all of our lives. And it leads to the agitation we see around mask wearing and people getting snippy about it. And yet we don't seem to be able to rise above it or find enough sources of treatment that can address the issue. And as Deborah pointed out, prevention is a really important part of this and preventing recognizable opportunities of accelerating mental illness where anxiety continues to rise as opposed to getting muted and tamped down and controlled is something that we in the communities have to do because there are just not enough providers to step in and do it. So it's asking a lot of us to all become more sensitized to mood disorders and mood behavior and to pick up on it and to 
help contribute to a de-escalation of it as opposed to inciting more and more violence or outbursts or over expressions of anger. But Rick, let's let's be honest here. I mean, it's always been on the front page of cancer care. You know, you're given the three words that you never want to hear, you have cancer, opposed to the three words we like to hear, I love you. And you go home and all the fears come out. Can I afford my therapy? What's going to happen to my family? Am I going to become a burden on them? And so I've heard of originally uh, at Hopkins, they started prehabilitation programs for cancer patients. And yeah. you've certainly been in this care management space for a long time. This is nothing new, but it seems like maybe the telemedicine initiatives today really are just looking at it from a patient diagnostic perspective. You know, I want to make sure that they're getting diagnosed, I can observe what's going on, and I can recommend a treatment plan. I don't think any of these telehealth programs with the payers really are taking into account that there's so much more to the care plan than just an accurate diagnosis. It's the totality of the patient's experience. Is a cancer driving me or am I directing my cancer care? Is cancer changing my life or am I living with cancer and managing my cancer? These are the things that I think have to be taken into account. So do you see it in the same light I do that maybe the telehealth is a little blindsided, that it's just this focus on the diagnosis and the treatment, then the total package of care and services the patients need, including mental health. So there are a number of early stage companies that are telepsych focused as opposed to telehealth, and they're dealing with depression, anxiety, stress, etc. Mm-hmm. And those companies are soaring in growth. Better Health is a really good example of one. Mm-hmm. And Better Health is reimbursing their providers somewhere between fifteen and thirty dollars for a session. And a session can be fifty minutes, which is well below the reimbursable rate for that provider on a face to face basis. So they right. may get seventy five to one hundred twenty five dollars per visit. We're not talking about psychiatrists because there aren't any that are willing to see patients. <laughs> they all see private pay patients. They, none of them will deal with commercial insurance. Mm-hmm. So psychiatry is off the charts here. But psychologists and clinical social workers and counselors are all getting underpaid by the telepsych options that have been created and that are moving patients in need to counselors that are available. Mm-hmm. So we spoke about, so let's, you know, let me kind of dig in a little bit more on this. Some of the questions that were fielded were, well, how about the pharmacist getting paid? What role do they have? You know, if they're providing that service and it's not a five-minute conversation, it's in-depth. I've seen it in our own pharmacies, these onboarding conversations with pharmacists, 45 minutes to an hour, and then ongoing conversations. There's no reimbursement for that. Let's talk about patient advocates dealing with the psychosocial pieces. As you said, you can't get psychiatrists. So who's doing that work? Or even the doctors are doing, to a great extent, a lot of that work today and recognizing. I think we heard that from Deborah Pat from Texas Oncology, that that's a major role that she sees herself fulfilling. 
So how can we get the policymakers or the insurance companies aligned around a real master plan to incorporate all of the stakeholders that play a role here in delivering their care. And it's an economic solution, it's a clinical solution, it's in a new construct in healthcare today. What's your best ideas to push this agenda forward and make sure that we have a more inclusive solution? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a lot there, I know. We, yeah, we've got $30 trillion suggestion from Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and then we have everything below that in terms of financial commitment from our country and our economy. We've got a tremendous distortion between prevention and treatment. So prevention of our $3.2 trillion spent on health care Prevention represents 4% of those dollars. It's minuscule. And what we see in this current pandemic is the people who are dying more likely suffer from obesity. And obesity is a preventable disease. One step would be we've got to get America on a diet. And we've got to get the 40% who are obese in the United States down to a more logical number like 30 or 25% where it used to be 10 and 15 years ago. Right. So that epidemic has to be solved and the distortion between prevention and treatment has to be solved. What we see with one of the Biden proposals, which is really radical and I've never seen it coming from a presidential candidate, and that is caregivers, daycare workers, home health workers, nursing home workers. They're all either underpaid or not paid, and they're all critical to the economy's success. And so there's a proposal from the campaign to improve or initiate reimbursement for these key people in our society that are marginalized with a minimum wage or less in the payment for their services. So specifically, what would be, is it a bundle that you give to a, a practice? Nobody understands the benefit, the ROI. So if a pharmacist has that intervention, what's it really worth? A, a nurse case manager, a nurse advocate, um, diet, exercise, you know, psychosocial, mental health. Since it's very hard to qualify and quantify the value of those services, but we all intuitively know they play a big role. What do you think? Do you think there'd be a value-based approach to this to say, all right, Rick, you're in charge of your patient, Bert. Here's $500. You find the best way to spend that. Use whatever resources you can to create that perfect experience for that patient, get that desired outcome we're looking for. Yes. I think that you're spot on here that we're going to transform from fee-for-service to value-based care. And the value-based care for primary care, whether it's primary oncology, such as medical oncologists, or whether it's primary care for diabetes or for asthma, 
it's all going to be capitated. You're going to have so many patients that you get uh-huh. paid so much a year to oversee. You don't have to see them in the office. You don't have to bill for what you see in the office. You're on a 24-7 relationship with those patients. And the more that you keep them healthy, the more that you net in terms of profit. In other words, if I interact with you asynchronously through the web on chat or text, and that keeps you out of the ER, that goes to my bottom line in my pocket for keeping you out of the ER. Mm-hmm. Well, how's that work in cancer? I mean, you know, not every case ends up with a cure. People live with cancer, comes back, it morphs in many ways, and people die of cancer. So what are the quality measures? You can't look at value just through the economic lens of, did I reduce ER emissions? Did I minimize adverse events? How about the quality of life, and how do we measure that for the family, for the patient? Remember, it's it's kind of two-sided there because it impacts everybody. I like the idea of asynchronous technology stepping in here and playing a role. So you've been treated for cancer, and now you believe you're in remission. Your doctors told you Mm -hmm. you're in remission. Right. And you don't really want to be harassed by a nurse navigator to see how you're doing today. In fact, you don't want to be reminded of the fact that you had cancer and you're out of treatment one month, three months, two years, whatever. So I think that's the role of technology and that technology is not going to be taking jobs away from humans. It's going to be augmenting the human interaction and being less overt and less in the face of the cancer patient during remission. As for the treatment of ongoing cancer, I don't think that qualifies as a primary care capitated service. I think that Uh those have to remain in bundled care or in non-value-based cancer treatment that is fee-for-service. So let's talk about fragmented care. There's a lot of these digital health or telehealth companies or insurance have their own initiatives that aren't connected with the treating physician. Is that good or bad? I mean, I guess having something versus having nothing is good, but isn't there a huge disconnect when this care is not delivered in a collaborative way with the provider and the patient when there's other programs out there that are disconnected? Yeah, without a doubt. You go back to Susan Love and her experience when she was recruited to UCLA, and she had this idea of a team of rivals that collectively were going to be much more effective than everybody kowtowing to the surgeon. And she failed miserably and got run out of town because the egos of those male doctors were unwilling to share the stage with her. So you inevitably have this challenge of getting the radiation oncologist, the surgeon, and the medical oncologist, and maybe the genomic oncologist on the same page. Uh And I think that we're seeing that with Zoom and with COVID, we actually have a better shot at having them all participate 
collectively on a Zoom call than we ever did when they were in their own buildings that were named after them and they were uh, seeing patients with no break between surgeries or break between uh, interactions with individual cancer patients. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's give another thing that I've observed. So you and I are on Zoom right now. I can see you, you can see me, yeah. all right? But not everyone can do these. Maybe they don't have a phone, they don't have internet, they live in a remote area. Is a televisit have to be a Zoom or can it be a, just a phone call? Can it be texting between patients and providers? Absolutely. The asynchronous interaction is vital to uh, creating an efficient platform for monitoring and overseeing care and, and aftercare. Mm -hmm. So we've also heard that these telehealth initiatives will not replace the in-person visits with doctors. It's, it's just another tool in the toolbox. So that probably is more of a rationale behind why these should be in bundles of care. Let the doctor and the patient pick the services that are required, whether it's telehealth, in-office visits, screening, testing, MRIs, and associated drug therapies. What's your thoughts on, again, if you had to talk to a payer, and we talk to payers, what's your best advice to them? Because I hear payers, they're truly thinking about this in a much different way. I guess that's the silver lining to COVID. COVID created this opportunity where everything can be cleared off the table and reset completely. You know, the comedian Bill Murray and Ghostbusters goes over to the table and tries to pull the tablecloth and everything should stay there. Of course, everything scatters and falls to the floor and he goes, oops, and he runs out to do his ghostbustering. But again, you know, this has been a game changer, right? I mean, this is our 9-11 moment in healthcare. So what do you tell the engineers, you know, control the healthcare machines? What should they be re-engineering? Where should they be going? What are your thoughts, your best impaired thoughts to them? <laughs> I love what COVID has done to rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, we've got these physicians who operate on the assumption that the only thing that's important is the face-to-face -face visit in their office where they're in control. And they miss 99% of these people's lives. With Zoom, you get to see the social determinants of health up close and personal. Right. If you're treating asthma, you get to see that there are five kitty cats roaming around your patient's head behind her, and they're all contributing to her asthma. And little did you know about that with her, or she didn't really share or fess up to the fact that she was really fond of cats. Right. But you see all this stuff because uh, you're Zoom. invited into their environment. Absolutely. And yeah. we've always heard that, you know, one of the big bonuses that you get out of the home health care is that there can be an evaluation in the home environment. Yeah. Is there an abusing spouse? Are there trip hazards? Do they have the right nutrition? I will tell you, I had an aging aunt in Brooklyn, and I used to drop in once a week to see how she was doing. And you know what I did to test how she was doing? I'd open the refrigerator, and I'd look at the dating on the milk. 
<laughs> and if it was current dating, I knew she was getting out and she was active. But, you know, it's the little things like that. So, you know, you're right. This technology gets us into your home. We could see how you're living, what your conditions are. Um, maybe more effective than or just as effective as an on-site visit that we wanted. But in the past, to your point, pre-COVID, intuitively, we all agree. We shake our heads and we all say that's great. But there's never been a schema for any kind of evolutionary payment structures that would you know, change the way we deliver care in the way that we all believe it could happen. So, Rick, you know, I, I love you and your body work through all these years. I mean, what do you think is going to be the biggest thing that holds us back from being successful here? What are the canyons that we have to be careful that we don't fall into? Well, let's start with the elephant in the room, fee-for-service. Doctors are the second oldest practitioners of fee-for-service after prostitutes. That's really not something to be proud of, and yet we've allowed it to go on for 2,000 years or 1,000 years. It's gone on way too long, and it's time to address the whole person and whole health and all the determinants of health. So we go back to my rant about obesity, my rant about doctors thinking that their office is where all care should be provided. And let's just get much more holistic in treating, in evaluating, in monitoring, and in preventing illness. So let me bring back, you know, in closing, uh, Brent Guerrero, who's the wears the suit with the president on a lot of the HHS casts on COVID. Um, I had the opportunity of speaking with him before he became acting undersecretary at HHS. He's a, an MD from Houston. He's a population health guy. I mean, that's another idea that we've flaunted around for so many years. His comment to me on a panel was he thought, and this is no rollback five, six years ago, and I heard it today on your panel, the number one problem is mental health in this country. It drives all health care costs. So will there be a move back to population health? Is that can we take that just like telehealth? Can we take that one off the shelf, dust it off, and put it back into the conversation? Well, I think what you're talking about is a breakdown of the walls between different categories of medicine, because there is no health without mental health. And frankly, it's really the integration of the mind with the body. So we have many, many physician specialties that look at the body as a series of organs and ignore the brain and what's happening in the brain. And until they integrate the brain into their overall diagnosing and treating, we're going to suffer from this problem. But I really believe that it's the fact that everybody requires their own MRIs, their own CAT scans, their own tests, and they don't necessarily collegially uh, recognize the diagnostic workups of their colleagues, even mm -hmm. though they may even be in the same system of care. Right. But oftentimes, if they're not in the same system of care, they're rejected outright. And that's really not very financially friendly to the consumer who had to pay a copay mm -hmm. on the previous CAT scan and now has to pay another copay on this CAT scan. 
So it's recognizing that we're all in this together and that the more collaborative we become, the better we'll be at treating patients holistically. And I think that the technology has helped us immensely in that regard by introducing machine learning and pattern recognition that is built into AI systems. We can now share that information across walls of care and each provider should be more knowledgeable if they read up on in the EMR and see what's happening to their patient. Well, I will tell you, uh, I thought your panel did great today. Dr. Deborah Pat from Texas Oncology, great job, gave us some great insights. I think Siobhan Rari from CTCA, again, did a, a really good job of explaining the comorbidity of telehealth and the experience with cancer and how they address that. I thought that was interesting. I got a, a really good understanding of the connectivity you know, that's required from Bob Gold of Gomo Health in the process of working with patients and getting inside their head and to help shape their controls and coordinate that with their practitioners. And I thought, you know, Brian Leland Jones, you know, again, just a great thought leader like yourself. We had an awful lot of insights into that. So I want to thank you for today, Rick, as always. Outstanding job. I guess we need to do a lot more work. I think this is something that our audience, we could tell by the almost a thousand people that were in this room today, and even our sponsor room had about 90 people in it. That continues to be a very interesting topic, and we will continue to cover it. As far as my mental health goes, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be watching any news channel at all, right? Uh, I, I, but um, I'm just deflecting. I don't think we can recover you, Bert. You're, <laughs> you're too far down the road. But um, so my psychiatrist, when he was alive, was Tom Petty. And, and I always, I loved his line, most things I worry about never happen anyway. So that's kind of my approach on life. But, you know, as, as the uh, forest My psychiatrist Gump, was uh, John Prine, so I can hear the same lyrics. <laughs> you know, so even though it might not happen anyway, I also subscribe to uh, the other great psychologist, and that was uh, Tom Hanks, who played Forrest Gump. And, he, and, you know, he would hold up the bumper sticker, <laughs> S-H-I blank happens. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's also kind of the reality. So, look, you know, just on behalf of ABBCC, thanks again for doing this. Sure. Uh, you've been one of the great influences and thought leaders. Don't hang up your shingle yet. Make sure that we keep <laughs> keep driving for change. I think we really have an opportunity here. So that's... You know, the silver lining is we have a chance to make something happen here. That would be a legacy that would be... Uh, it's a, a deserved legacy for you because you're doing a hell of a job. Well, you got me involved, so uh, <laughs> I'm just an extension of your white paper, and, you know, that didn't end. So thanks again. Sure. All right. My pleasure. Well, gee, that was just great today, and thank you for joining. Thank you to our faculty and our panelists as usual, great content and the sharing of information, usually important if we are going to improve access and the quality of care that we're responsible for delivering along with change in this ecosystem. Like today, there'll be other and future webcasts. We cover all topics and all stakeholders. Stay tuned. Also, we post this on our website, 
very important that you can dial down and share with your colleagues. So we encourage you to do that. Additionally, if any of you have any comments, send them in through our website. If anyone would like to participate in speaking or has some other ideas, please share them with us. That's our mission. Thank you for joining Talk Again.